WGBB and Sports Radio NY are pleased to present Sports Talk New York with your hosts Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is a Players Point production. It's sponsored by Prince Associates, the company you can trust for all your insurance needs, and the law firm of Decalator Cohen in DePrisco, specialist in line of duty accidents. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. It is my pleasure to welcome the best third baseman I have ever seen in my lifetime, the man that inspired Cincinnati Reds manager Sparky Anderson to say, I'm beginning to see Brooks Robinson in my sleep. If I dropped a paper plate, he'd pick it up on one hop and throw me out at first. He played his entire 23-year career with the Baltimore Orioles and was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1983. Known as a human vacuum cleaner and number five in your program, Brooks Robinson, welcome to WGBB Sports Talk New York. Thank you. Nice to be with you. I appreciate those uh, kind words. I can still dive and catch him, but I just can't get up anymore. <laughs> I think you could still probably throw him out from, <laughs> from the ground, you know, based on the way you played back in the day. So let, let's turn the clock back to September 17, okay. 1955, Memorial Stadium. An 18-year-old Brooks Robinson makes his major league debut against the Washington Senators and Chuck Stobbs. Do you remember anything about that game and your feeling stepping to the plate for the first time? Well, it was kind of strange. Uh, that one of the reasons I signed with the Orioles in uh, 55 right out of high school was the fact that they weren't very good. Plus, they said, well, if you, you know, if you go up and have a pretty good year at York, Pennsylvania, we'll bring you back here and let you play at an early age. So I did fairly well that year at York, Pennsylvania. They recalled me with, was two weeks to go in the season and, uh, I got a chance to play and that was my first game. I got two base hits, knocked in a big run and I thought, boy, this is my cup of tea. And, uh, I found out a lot different. I went back to the hotel and called my mom and dad in Little Rock. I said, guess what, mom, dad, first game, two hits. I said, I don't know why I spent that year in the minor leagues. Well, I went 0 for 18 after that the rest of the year and struck out 10 times. So I learned a pretty good lesson right right away. <laughs> now, your early days spent with the Orioles were tough, as Paul the Paul Richards Leto's were 500 or below for a few years. But over your 23-year career with the O's, you saw many turning points, such as the hiring of Hank Bauer, Earl Weaver's managers, the acquisition of Frank Robinson. What do you think were the biggest turning points in the franchise during your 23 years? Well, certainly, uh, I tell you, we had terrific early uh, owners early on, a great front office, guys like Jim McLaughlin, Harry Dalton, who went, uh, he was the assistant general manager. And I think it starts at the top. In 1960, we started to get pretty respectable. Uh, we had what we call the baby birds, guys like Milt Pappas, Chuck Estrada, Steve Barber, uh, Jack Fisher, and uh, those guys were terrific. Uh, threw hard, knocked the bat out of your hand, and uh, we had a good chance to win that year. The Yankees came in to, to Baltimore in September of uh, Labor Day of uh, 60. We won, and they were two games ahead of us. We won three in a row, one game up now, went away for two weeks went to Yankee Stadium, and they beat us four in a row. So uh, that was a pretty good learning lesson right there. But certainly the biggest thing that happened to the Orioles was the acquisition of Frank Robinson, the trade that brought Frank over. Uh, we became uh, just a little better than uh, most teams at that particular time. In 64, went right down to the wire, though, before Frank got there. And uh, we lost by two, and I think the White Sox by one. But that's a year the Yankees could have been had. Uh, uh, after the next year, the Minnesota got in the World Series. But certainly Frank Robinson coming to our team uh, made us a little bit better. And consequently, we got in the World Series in 66, 69, 70, and 71. And won two of those and lost two. But it was a great run. And uh, 69, 70, and 71, we had terrific teams. And 
although we lost two out of three of the World Series. Now, there may never be a third baseman who feels a position better than you did. A 16-time Gold Glove winner, was your fielding something that came natural, or was it something that you spent, spent special attention to and worked to develop? Well, I think that uh, it's more of a God-given talent than anything else. Uh, you know, I signed as a second baseman. I played four years of American Legion ball at second base. Signed with the Orioles as a second baseman. Played my first 50 games professionally at second. And then they decided, uh, well, third base might be his position. It's more of a reflex position. And uh, that, that you don't have to cover near as much ground at second base. But uh, I always had a little timing, a sense of timing of being where the ball was, even in basketball. And, and uh, hand-eye coordination, and as I said, it's more of a reflex position at third base, but that's a God-given talent. But there are a lot of things that uh, you can do to make yourself better over there, but uh, that was the best thing that happened to Brooks Robinson was to change positions and move over to third base. Do you know who the person behind that in the organization was who, who saw you as a, a better third baseman than a second baseman? Yes, it was my manager, George Staller, that first year at York, Pennsylvania, and also Paul, Paul Richards. I think they they saw me as the third baseman all along, and uh, uh, he was quoted in a book I read as uh, when I first came to Baltimore, or when I, I signed out of high school and flew to Baltimore and stayed with him about five or six days. I wasn't uh, unable to play because I didn't I wasn't I didn't have I wasn't signed to a major league contract, but uh, he was supposed to have told someone you know uh, I was taking ground balls at second. He said that's going to be the one a terrific third baseman right there. So. I think early on they realized that third base might be my best position, and uh, they figured I'd get a little bit stronger, and uh, and uh, that might be the, the right way to go. So it's the best thing that ever happened to me, moving to third base, believe me. Uh, since free agency, there aren't many players who remain with their team for their entire career. Your 23 seasons with one team set a major league record, which was eventually tied by Carl Yastrzemski. Only Yaz, Hank Aaron, and Stan Musial have played more games for one franchise than you. You know, you look at the baseball landscape today, and the only guy that really comes to your mind is Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada. Since free agency, do you think the player movement from team to team has in somewhat diminished the game? Because back in the day, you think about you, you think about Ernie Banks, you think about guys who spent their entire career with, with one team and built a special infinity you know, with the fans. Well, you know what? I have waffled on that question several times, and I used to think it meant a great deal to uh, all the fans, but certainly there are particular there are certain fans who get enamored with a certain player, and that makes it nice. But I really do think the bottom line is what counts. I mean, if you win and have a terrific team with new players, uh, that, that's, that's the most important thing. And uh, I, the fact is that uh, it has really come home to me threefold. I started living in Baltimore in 1960. I came there in 1955. And the longer I'm out of the game, the more I appreciate the fact that I stayed with one team. And I say it has come back to me six times, sixfold, because, uh, hey, I can walk down the street there in Baltimore and I'll have guys leaning out of the car. Hey, Brooks, nice to see you. You signed my ball back in 1963. And I get a kick of that. But everywhere I go, I get that in, in the Baltimore, you know, in the state of Maryland. So that's been the nice part of it. But really and truly, uh, it, it certainly upsets some fans. But the bottom line is if you win, people are going to come to the game. So I don't think it's that important that, uh, you know, with free agency and players having a choice where to go, it, it as I said, upsets some fans. But, hey, if they win, the fans are going to come out. 
Now, you look at the way you, you played in the postseason, and you seem to, which is almost, you know, you can't even fathom the fact that, you know, Brooks Robinson elevated his game to another level, but you look at the six postseasons, nine series, 39 games, you hit 303, five home runs, and 22 RBIs. Did you approach the postseason any differently than regular season? I didn't approach it any differently, but I do think there's more concentration. You know, during the season, uh, I mean, I went to bat 600-plus times a few times, and I look back and uh, just think there's so many times that I went up there without a plan and just got myself out uh, very easy, easily, I guess you could say. But uh, when you get to the uh, the postseason, I think you do concentrate a little more. You do try to figure out a few things, and I think that's one of the reasons that I had some uh, a fairly nice uh, uh, games in the world in the World Series. Although I look back on the New York Mets, I got uh, one hit in that '69 season, and uh, but uh, I, I it, it just uh, it worked out that way. I, you know, but uh, overall, I think there is a little more concentration when you get to postseason than there is during the regular season. Which World Series loss was more disappointing to you? The '69 loss to the Mets or the seven-game loss to the Pirates in '71? I think the Mets probably more than anything else. That was probably the best team I played on. Hey, we won 109 games. Uh, we won 109. We won three three years in a row, 100 plus, and that's only been done I think one other time in the history of the game. But losing to the Mets uh, in in five games uh, probably is more disappointing than uh, anything else because I I really felt like that was probably our best team. I don't know why, but we just kind of blew everyone away that year. We and if even. We lost uh, our last five out of six, I think, during the season. And uh, then we won three in a row from a, a terrific Minnesota team to get in the, uh, in the World Series. But, you know, you look back on it now, and the Mets kind of they just outplayed us. I mean, uh, we beat Seaver the first game, and then Cooper beat us. And Gentry probably impressed us more than anyone else. Uh, uh, I really I, I think he was a lot better than most of our guys uh, thought that uh, – that he was, but he pitched a terrific game. And, you know, there's a lot of crazy things. They made some uh, fantastic plays. Uh, I hit that ball that Juan Simona <laughs> made a dive and catch the right field off the receiver. And I give him a hard time all of the night whenever I see him about making that play, you know. I said, you shouldn't have even tried to get that ball. And anyway, he gives me a little laugh. But Ron and I are terrific friends. And, but uh, anyway, they certainly deserve the win. You know, when you play three out of five like the playoffs or four out of seven, Anything could happen, but they had a great pitching staff, and Seaver and Kuzman and Gentry and Nolan Ryan was on that team. Rod Taylor, I think, was his name. So uh, it just was one of those things. Very disappointing, but hey, uh, and uh, you know, when the season starts the next year, you you go at it again. Of all your individual awards, which include 16 Gold Gloves, a 1964 American League MVP, 1966 All-Star MVP, 1966 Lou Gehrig Award, 1970 World Series MVP, 1970 Babe Ruth Award, as well as being named to the Major League Baseball All-Century Team, which of those individual awards means the most to you? Uh, I, I look at the 64 season, even though we didn't win, uh, I was the MVP that year, and uh, that's, that's something you you do over a 162 game season, and I look at that as uh, the the one I, I enjoy the most. And uh, certainly, uh, uh, the World Series is uh, uh, the 70 World Series was was kind of strange. I tell people I played almost 23 years professionally, and a little over 23 years, and I don't think I ever had five games in a row like I had in that particular series. And as an infielder, you can play a whole week and not get a chance to do anything spectacular, but in this World Series, uh, 
uh, every game uh, they had some balls hit my way. And going into the world and going into that World Series, uh, the biggest question mark was is what kind of shoes should we wear? We did not have any artificial turf in the American League, and we were trying to figure out well should we wear AstroTurf shoes or regular spikes? We ended up wearing the regular spikes. But that was a big question mark. But we knew that uh, Mark Flanger and I knew that we were going to get a lot of uh, a lot of work on it uh, our side of the infield simply because they had guys like Lee May and Johnny Bench and Tony Perez and uh, and those guys got one thing on their mind that's they hit it as far as they can and we got a couple left hand pitchers in Quayar and McNally and in that series we did get a lot of ground balls and line drives and uh, uh, after about the third or fourth game I can say hey. I hope this gets over in a hurry because I can't keep this up. <laughs> now, I know you're pressed for time, so we have three more questions for you, and we yeah. appreciate you taking the time out with us this morning. Your, 1970, your 1970s book, which is sitting right here in our library, which was one of my favorite books, you know, Third Base is My Home, the book has a great story about how you met your wife. Can you share that with our audience? Yeah, uh, we, were, uh, we were playing a game in uh, Kansas City. And uh, my wife uh, was flying for United Airlines, and uh, we'll be married 50 years this next October. Uh, but anyway, she was on that uh, on that flight. Uh, you know, we all flew United uh, that particular time. Every team uh, had a United charter. It was a piston plane, and we had an off day. We were flying to Boston, and she was on the plane. And uh, I got on, and uh, right away I was kind of enamored with her. And I just told her, I said, look, I'm the only single guy on this team. Everyone else is married, so don't let them tell you any different. Anyway, uh, we had a we had a date in Boston that night, and uh, uh, the next year after the season, we got married after the '60 season. But uh, that was a very unusual way. But there's a lot of guys are married. A lot of the players I know have married students, so that's a pretty natural uh, uh, twosome. Uh, since your retirement from baseball, you also served as a color commentator for the Baltimore Orioles television broadcast. We had Fran Talkington on two weeks ago talking about his stint on Monday Night Football and how, even though it was a job for him, he didn't really enjoy it because the more he did it, the more he actually missed the game and the feeling of actually being able to do you know, and perform the things that he was talking about. What was the experience as a color commentator like for you? Well, I had a wonderful experience as a commentator. Uh, you know, you always think, I always said to myself, boy, they're going to have to tear this uniform off my back. And uh, I never wanted to do anything in my whole life except be a, a big league baseball player. And in 1977, uh, I suddenly realized that I was not going to play anymore, and I probably should have retired the year before, but that's another story. But anyway, about the middle of the year, I was sitting and watching, and I can honestly tell you, uh, I did lose interest in the game. I came back as a player coach that year, but just I came back to play, and it just didn't happen. I played in maybe 30 or 40 games, and uh, I really lost interest. I couldn't wait till the season got over. In fact, uh, I ended up retiring when the Orioles had to bring back uh, uh, Rick Dempsey uh, to the uh, to the roster. They needed a spot, so uh, we we talked, and I said, "Hey, I'm retiring anyway. I'll retire a little early." So I think I retired right after the uh, first or second of September, something like that. But anyway, the the broadcasting part of it, the broadcast uh, came open, the uh, uh, color commentary, uh, 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 that job came open the next year, and they asked me to do it, and uh, I loved it. I enjoyed doing it. it uh, I went to the same places the next year, saw the same players. I had no, uh, I didn't feel like I, I, I would, if I'd have gone back to Little Rock, Arkansas, and spent uh, the rest of my life there, I would have probably missed it, but 
this way um, I'm, I'm doing the same thing, except I'm not playing. I ended up working with a lot of great people. Chuck Thompson, who's in the Hall of Fame. I worked with uh, uh, Bill O'Donnell, a great announcer for a while. I worked with Jim Simpson, who did a lot of network uh, work. John Miller, who works with Joe Morgan now. John and I did the games a couple of years. Scott Garso, a local broadcaster. Even Jim Palmer and I did some games. But the only thing, it was uh, uh, we only did 60 games back when I was doing it. We did 50 on the road and, and 10 at home. And uh, I did not like to spend off days on the road. But if you'd have a two-week trip, you might only do eight or nine games. So I'd fly home, then when I'd fly back out two days later to do a game. But anyway, 94, my last child got married. It was just time to... I hang them up because I'm uh, doing other things and traveling. But I love doing the, the broadcast and uh, love being around the game and uh, the ballparks were the same, the players were the same. So it couldn't have worked out any better. And, and lastly, can you um, try to put into words what it meant to be elected into the Hall of Fame and your, your recollections of the day when, when you were elected, when you were enshrined with Juan Marichal in 83? Sure. As a, as a youngster growing up, uh, I knew the history of the game. I knew all about the Hall of Fame. I knew all about the older players. Uh, you know, when Babe Ruth died, I remember cutting it out and putting it in my uh, scrapbook. That was in 1948. And several other players like Grover Cleaver and Alexander. But I did know the history of the game, and I knew uh, about the Hall of Fame. But I don't think any player ever signs thinking he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. And I played 10 years professionally before I ever thought about it, and it's the fans more than anyone else, who let you know you have a chance for the Hall of Fame. And after uh, the Orioles got back in the World Series in 69, 70, and 71, and I was the MVP one year, you'd hear someone say, hey, Brooks, you're going to the Hall of Fame now. So I started to think about it. Uh, then when you retire, you have to wait five years to become eligible, and then you have 400-plus writers voting, and you have to attain 75% of that vote. But I can honestly tell you, I, I got in the first time around, and uh, I, it, it couldn't have been more exciting. I, uh, all my family, my wife's family, my cousins and brothers and my brother were all there. And it was just uh, something that uh, I enjoy going back to every year. Uh, since 83, uh, I've missed one year uh, returning to the Hall of Fame. I was doing a game and couldn't get any relief, a uh, television game, and couldn't get any relief, so I had to, to miss it. But uh, uh, it's been a great uh something that's uh, really unexpected and to go up there and, and, and see your peers, the people you played against and uh, and you read about guys like Bobby Doerr and Monty Irving and uh, Cool Papa Bell, I got to meet all those guys and uh, it's been a big thrill uh, I grew up in Little Rock uh, Bill Dickey, great Yankee catcher uh, grew up in Little Rock and uh, I had a paper route and uh, Bill Dickey grew up about five blocks from where I lived in Little Rock but I knew that that was the house he grew up in, and I can remember every time I'd go by in the morning, I'd give that paper a little extra flip, knowing <laughs> and trying to get it on the porch, knowing that, hey, that's where Bill Dickey uh, grew up. And uh, I got to meet Bill Dickey when I was a youngster. They had a, uh, a baseball clinic, the Little Rock Travelers did. He was managing the Travelers, and they came down to Lamar Porterfield where I played, and we had a little clinic. And then uh, Bill was not in good health, but he uh, he made the trip to Cooperstown and uh, – told me, he said, well, this is my last trip. I'm not in good health, but I came to see you inducted into the Hall of Fame, which made a great deal to me. But it's been a, a wonderful experience. It's like your own little club, and I look forward to going back and spending four or five days every year up there. 
Uh, Brooks, we appreciate your time this morning. We know that you have a very hectic schedule. It's a huge thrill for me. Uh, basically, you know, from the time I think I was, I think nine to through high school baseball, you know, I was a third baseman in war number five. So it's been a huge thrill for me this morning. Well, thank you. I'm honored. Let's do it again, okay? Uh, definitely. Uh, I will hold you for that. Thank you. Right, thank you so much. You bet. Bye-bye. Second to Mike Smith to an old.